And now, welcome to Chai with Manju, with your host, Dr. Manju Shen. Our guest today is one of the most well-known musicians in the world. He has also been called the chief architect of contemporary world music. Let us meet Ustad Zakir Hussain. Namaste ji. How <laughs> are you? Very good. Thank you so much for Thanks coming. Thanks for taking the time to meet me. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, your name is synonymous with tabla and you bring all these wonderful percussionists from all over the world mm-hmm. in masters of percussion. Mm-hmm. Tell us what this journey has been like. Well, first of all, I don't think uh, mm-hmm. I'm the only tabla player around as far as most well known. <laughs> uh, yeah, most well known. But I, I might have to, I have to say that there are at least 10 or 15 really immensely fabulous tabla players around who on their day are probably better than I am. So, so it shouldn't be that my name is synonymous with tabla. I mean, I know that that happens, but I would request the audience to go look for other tabla players too and see how well they play. Uh, As far as playing with masters of percussion is concerned, this was the wish of my father. In 1994, I was touring with him in America, we were playing concerts, and uh, he suggested that I should just concentrate on bringing tabla to people. Uh-huh. India has such a varied uh, uh, tradition of rhythms uh-huh. and, and, and rhythm masters playing so many different traditions that I should give chance to other traditions to be also heard. So that's how the idea of Masters of Percussion was born. And it started first in 1996 in a, in a small way. And I brought Mr. T.H. Vinayakram Bhikkhu, the great clayboard maestro, uh, on that first trip. Then after that, it started to develop and more people started coming and it started to gain popularity among the, amongst the uh, listeners all over the United States and Canada and Europe. And finally, it's almost become a brand ambassador, a brand name. And people every other year expect a Master of Percussion tour. And this year, I've got some, I mean, I'm... I am sad to say that I'm running out of the masters of uh, percussion as they are all leaving us and joining the big master up there. But uh, now we're concentrating on the next generation, the young masters. And so we have Ananta Krishna, who is one of the great young Mirdanga players with a great lineage. His grandfather was a great Mirdangas. And uh, then we have Manar Budi Vasudevan, who plays the Tavil, which uh, is the wedding procession drum from South India and also played in the temple processions. And then we have Navin Sharma who's playing the Dhola keys, the master of the Dhola, which is, as you know, a great folk instrument from UP. And Tabla, of course, I'm playing. And then what's what's interesting, or the icing on the cake, is uh, uh, the grandmaster C.H.E. Tanaka, who's uh, the Japanese master of uh, taiko drumming, which mm-hmm. is about as old as Indian drumming, almost mm-hmm. 2,000 years old. So to bring, bring all these ancient traditions together and put them in front of the audiences so that they could, you know, enjoy it as much as I do and see what is out there. And so it's uh, the idea that Masters of Percussion was born with, and I'm glad that it continues. And Bostonians love it. <laughs> oh, they do because yes. I've been very lucky I get a chance yes. to bring them every other year here. and you once said that Indian classical music unlike the so-called popular music ah. is an acquired taste which is uh, best experienced in an intimate setting mm-hmm. can you elaborate on that well Indian classical music as we know it now right. uh, Indian classical music went through a change mm-hmm. like about 850-900 years uh-huh. ago before that it used to be called Dhrupad and uh, that style was brought forth by Mia Tansen, 
in the court of Akbar. And uh, about, say, 400 odd years ago, it started changing and it became a, a, a system known as Khayal. And that's the, it's a secular form. Amir Khusro, mm -hmm. the great Turkish Sufi, mm -hmm. took the salient features of, of uh, temple music of India, which is Dhrupad, Prabandhagaiki, Holi, so on, and fused it with the, the Sufi music of, of the Islamic world, main, mainly known as Kaul and Kalbana at that time. Now it's known as Kawali. So he fused it together and, and then this new style emerged called Khayal. So that's the style that is being performed nowadays. And, and whether it's Bhimsen Joshi who sang it or Abhi Shankarji who played it or so on, they all play Khayal. I mean, Indian classical music is now a, 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 a two-tiered form of music, the ancient Thrupad from the temples of India, and a secular Khayal, which uh, actually took place or was born in, uh, uh, in the palaces. And now in those palaces, you performed intimately for the Maharaja and his few chosen right. noblemen. Right. So therefore it was a very small intimate gathering and intimate right. gathering. So right. you performed in that way and, and, and you got the wahwahs back if somebody enjoys the kyabat ustad and so on. And you were inspired to do better and better. So the maestros basically performed for a connoisseur audience. That uh, died away when after India's independence, when the principalities were gone. And so there was no support uh, for uh, music in the palaces. So they had to come to the stage. Mm -hmm. And they had to figure out how to now play the music for the audiences. And that became difficult because they were so used to having a few people sitting around that they could not figure out a way to be able to communicate with the audience in 15th row or 20th row. So that was a difficult situation for Indian music. But along came people like Pandit Ravi Shankar, Ustad Vilayat Khan, Ustad Ali Akbar Khan Sahib. And these were great, dynamic, electrifying instrumentalists who found a way to be able to make this music entertainment friendly and bring it out to the audience. So it's only in the last, since the independence, that Indian music has really become an entertainment art form. Before that, it was a form for connoisseurs and, and intimate listeners. Now, you've had very interesting upbringing. Mm -hmm. I read that when you were little, your dad would, Ustad uh, would come and he would uh, wake you up and you learned from him. Uh -huh. Then you went to Islamic school in the morning yeah, and yeah. then you went to a Catholic school. Totally a so confusion. Confused or a very interesting upbringing with a multi-faith, multicultural. So how has that shaped you as a, as a person growing up? Well, with such those were standards. different times. And, uh -huh. and, and the powers that be in any of these ways of life uh -huh. were not hell-bent on trying to convert you. Mm -hmm. So the information was freely given and, and the knowledge was passed, transmitted uh, without the issues of who you were, where you came from, what your way of life was. So I never felt, and in your, if you look deeply and as a child you are so innocent, you go right to the, to the, to the heart of the matter. Uh, it's felt natural. I have never felt that there was any difference between me uh, playing a Ganesh Stuti on my tabla or going and reciting the Quran or in, in the church singing hymns. Mm -hmm. I have not found that there is any difference in the heart of the matter, the core of the matter, which is love thy neighbor. 
<laughs> yes, basically that. that Nobody has said anything different yes. since the, at the beginning of the Bible days or whatever. So I was never made to feel that, uh, that I had to be Muslim or I had to be Hindu or I had to be a Christian or so on. I, so I never felt that there were different religions. I felt very comfortable in it and even now I don't feel that, uh, you know, that there is any amount of discomfort for me if I am uh, in, a, in a temple in Pandarpur playing a, for the deity or uh, sitting outside Ajmer uh, listening to the Kawalis there or, or being in a, in, in a beautiful uh, chapel in France playing a, a concert in the chapel. It's, it's just, it's all the same. It's all, so I'm happy that I grew up in this copacetic atmosphere without having the confusion and and so it's 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 a lucky place to have been and you have played in so many places all over the world are there any favorites no it's 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 kind of hard to uh, say because on any given day any place could be favored i mean it's it's i look for sometimes i look forward to going to play in a concert in a city where i've heard that the audience is fabulous and then and i arrive totally expecting incredible thing and it doesn't work. It's just all the stars and everything coming together, the ambience, yeah. the sound, the audience, what kind of mental stage they are in, how many of them had traffic problems, how many of yeah. them had a fight with somebody or whatnot. <laughs> and it all comes together and if everybody is on the same wavelength, then it's That's magical. And it can happen anytime. I've so, seen this happen. I've arrived to play a concert somewhere in a dingy little village uh, and uh, very tired after an eight-hour car journey into the interiors and uh, getting on stage, just putting a shirt on quickly uh -huh. and getting on stage, very tired and turning out to be a great six-hour concert. It's the magic of the day. So magic of the day happens. So it's very hard to tell. Of course, consistently speaking, you can have a great concert in Boston or a great concert in New York or a great concert in London and, and great concert in places like Pune or Mumbai or Kolkata. These are places where Indian music or San Francisco has lived and prospered and has been nurtured by musicians and audience alike. So it's great to play in these places and, uh, uh, and, and you know, more, than, more often than not, uh, the concerts are really good. And how do you prepare for a concert? I give an interview. <laughs> no, I actually have a, have a ritual that I, yeah, I, I go into the dressing room, I iron my kurta. Really? Yes, I iron my chudidar pajama. I tune my tablas, I, you know, talk to them and stuff. This is my normal, because if you're going for a puja, you take your puja thali and you put flowers there uh -huh. and the tikka there and this there, and you get ready to do the puja. So, so for me, it's a puja. I, tabla spirit, I have to bow to it. It's Saraswati. And I must give my, my, my reverence uh, towards that. So I, that's my ritual to prepare for. And you also said somewhere that you like to study the style of the person that you're playing with. You have to. I mean, if I don't know you well, how am I going to be able to provide for you musically that which you need from me? So inside and out, I mean, that's basically why. What is the best advice anybody has given you? Uh, learn to listen. I mean, most of us get on the stage and want to play what we want to play. The whole idea is if you're working with other musicians, you must learn to listen to that person so that you can interact and connect. If I'm sitting there to converse with you, but I'm too busy talking myself, I won't converse with you. So I must learn to listen. If I was to tweet you, you know, a message to come to today's concert in Tabla language, 
this is what it would be, this little composition. <laughs> you know, it's simple, come, sit down, have a drink, have something to eat, relax, listen to the concept, and go home. <laughs> In this, no, you know, dear friends or ladies and gentlemen or anything. <laughs> Nagita, <laughs> <laughs>